Welcome to the Learn Jazz Drums podcast, the podcast dedicated to the art of jazz drumming. We have interviews with professional jazz musicians, as well as general tips and advice on what it looks like to be a jazz drummer today. Let's get into it. Hey, welcome to the Learn Jazz Drums podcast. My name is Ryan Shaw, if you don't know me already. I'm a professional drummer in Los Angeles, and I primarily play jazz. And thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. We're going to have a lot of great guests on this podcast, and I'm also going to do some episodes just talking about different subjects, maybe some subjects that I talk about in blog posts, and I know people won't really read, so I put it into a podcast, because I know I wouldn't read it. There may be a little overlap with the blog as far as subject, but I'll definitely talk about some different stuff and have some subjects that are just for the podcast, and then I'm hoping that every other episode will be a great guest. So we've probably all had someone say to us something to the effect of, a metronome can't swing. And this is incredibly true, very true. If you only practice with a metronome and you focus so hard on that metronome, you're not going to be able to swing if that's the only thing you're doing. You won't know the history of the music, you won't know anything about jazz if you only pay attention to the metronome. And also, if you get over-absorbed with the metronome, even though you know some history, if you know the history of the music and everything, but you just focus too much on that technical thing, it's going to take control of your playing. So it's very important to keep in mind always that a metronome can't swing. But in today's day and age, it's really important to also be able to play to a click. You're not going to get very far in the recording world if you can't do it, and in most TV and films you have to actually play to a click, and even a lot of jazz singers today are recording to click, so it's really important to have that skill. So before I get down to my six best metronome practice techniques, uh, let's talk about the concept of micro versus macro time. I don't know where I heard this, or if I came up with it, or whatnot, but micro time is small divisions of time. For instance, if you play an eighth note fill over the course of four beats and you have the metronome going on quarter notes, do those eighth notes rush? Do they speed up? Do they slow down? What not? Let's say you have a phrase like one, two, ba-boo, da-da, da-da. If you're playing that in the context of the song and it goes one, two, three, four, one, ba-boo, da-da, da-da, ba-boo, do do three, four, one, ba-boo, da-da, da-da. If you just end up speeding it up because maybe your eighth notes on the offbeats feel a little uncomfortable to you and you end up rushing through them, that's not having very good micro time. But on the other side of things is macro time, and that's the concept of your time on the long scale. So does the song start and finish at the same tempo? Does the middle of the song, when it's the shout chorus or whatever, is it at the same tempo? And it's really important to have a good balance of these two. And you don't want to be too perfect, and you also don't want to be not perfect enough. All about balance. Let's think about it for a second. Which do you think is most important, micro or macro time? Obviously, the end goal is to have control of both of them. But if we think about it in the grand scheme of things, if you had to choose one, which do you think would be most important? In my experience, micro time is the most important. So if you think about it, think about some records you love and especially some older jazz records, if you go to the end of the song, you listen through the song, then you go back to the beginning, a lot of times it's a different tempo. And you didn't really care because it felt great. And usually if it feels great, that means that the micro time is there and it feels great because these phrases aren't rushing. You're able to sit there and snap your fingers to it. You're able to stomp your foot to it. You're able to do everything, move your body to it. 
because if it rushes, you can't really physically just catch up all the time, your body to that. But if in general, it just has this kind of forward motion and then it ends up speeding up gradually over the course of a long song, it's not gonna be the biggest deal. Let's take, for example, Tony Williams. If you hear him on the Miles Davis album, Four and More, almost every song on that album speeds up. But how many people complain about that? How many people do you say, oh man, this album, Four and More, I really like it. And they go, oh yeah, it's okay, but every song speeds up. And I don't like it because of that. Not many people. People will probably mention that they speed up, but it's not the biggest deal in the world because the music is so great that's happening there. I really love it. I love it with George Coleman. Some people vibe him because they don't like him as much as Wayne Shorter, but I think it's a great record, and you should definitely check it out if you don't know it already. Four and More by Miles Davis. When I first got into jazz, I was taking a lesson with San Diego jazz drummer Duncan Moore, and he recommended this album, and I was completely lost when I was listening to it. But eventually, after listening to it more and more and growing my ears and everything, I grew to understand it, and I still love that record to this day. Another example is another Miles Davis record, Milestones. If you listen to the song Milestones, great vibe, super swinging, Philly Joe Jones on drums, and that song slows down, believe it or not. If you go to the end and go back to the beginning, it definitely slows down. But you don't notice it as it's going. It just has this great vibe. Cannonball sounds great. Everyone sounds great on that record. Also, if you listen to the Terry Gibbs Dream Band, any of those records with Mel Lewis on them, a lot of that stuff ends up slowing down. But they're long songs, and the vibe's great, and the feel's great, and it's this nice, comfy, gushy feel. And if you get to the end of the song and go back to the beginning, it's like, oh, that's a different tempo. But it doesn't really affect the music that much. So it's all about having this balance of it affecting the music and not. And obviously, if the band leader says something to you, make an adjustment. And it's important that you can make an adjustment and be like, okay, he doesn't want this to speed up at all. Even though in the musical moment, it made sense to just go with it. I now know in the future, I need to be in control of that. And you need to have that skill to be in control of it. Additionally, if you go into a recording studio and it's really important that it stays at the same tempo, you want to be able to do that. Now, last thing I'm going to talk about before I get to my six techniques. Drummers are not the only ones responsible for the time. Everyone in that band is responsible for the time. I'm going to say that again. Drummers are not the only ones responsible for the time. Everyone in the band is responsible for the time. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Well, the drummer plays the whole time. They're playing very percussive instruments, and it's very easy for them to control the time. So it makes sense that they control the time the most. But most drummers, if they're a good drummer, they're going to be a sympathetic drummer. They're not just going to sit there and push through at the perfect tempo. They're going to be listening to everyone around them and making sure that it feels good as a unit. And part of that has to do with time, subconsciously or consciously. If you're playing in a big band and everyone in the band is slowing down the shout chorus, you're probably going to end up going with them whether you're thinking about it or not. And sometimes this is good and sometimes this is bad. If it's a slight slowdown, it might not be the biggest deal in the world, as long as it doesn't affect the music. But if the whole band is dragging, maybe you do need to just sit there and push ahead. But a lot of times it just doesn't sound very good, having that drummer pushing ahead, you know, playing everything early because the band's behind him. It almost just makes the drummer sound bad, even though the band is behind him. 
So it kind of sucks when that situation happens, but you just got to figure out the right balance of that. And that's what this is all about, balance and figuring that out with everything. But please stop blaming drummers every time it slows down. Everyone's responsible for the time and everyone can take charge. All right, so here are my six favorite metronome practice techniques. Number one is your standard quarter notes. So just standard metronome on quarter notes, play along to that, it'll be cool. And it's really important that you actually pay attention to those quarter notes because a lot of times people kind of get lazy with it, you know, they're just kind of generally in time with it. But really lock in with those quarter notes and make sure your macro time and your micro time are both being worked on at the same time with those quarter notes. So that's pretty basic, but it's a very important one and don't neglect that one. So number two is one click per bar. And this one's cool because it's kind of in the middle of micro and macro time in the sense that, you know, you get into a groove and you just land right on beat one every bar and you make sure that's still happening. And if you need to really get into the groove first, maybe you can use an app like Tempo and have it sitting there and have all the beats on and get into a groove and then take off two, three, and four and keep playing and maybe do some fills that you think you would normally rush and try them out and see how it goes and then turn the quarter notes back on, figure out where they're rushing and then work on that. But it's all about balance with this because if you think about it, you could do a lot of pushing and pulling in four beats and still land on beat one again. So if you were to only do this technique, your time could end up being pretty bad. So just make sure that you're doing both this and technique number one. Now technique number three is bars on and bars off. So I kind of like this one a little more because it's like you take two bars of four beats per bar and then you take two bars of no beats per bar. And same thing in three, four or whatnot, seven, eight, whatever time signature you're in. But, you know, two beats on, two bars on, two bars off, maybe four bars on, four bars off, four bars on, two bars off, do whatever, experiment, have fun. But uh, that's a fun one to do because it really works on your time for those two bars and then you're on your own for two bars. And then it comes back and it keeps you honest to down to the beat, not just one click. All right, so technique number four is half notes. And this one's really important for a lot of studio work because if you're gonna play anything above 200 BPM basically in a studio, they're gonna change it to half notes because it's just too many clicks at a fast tempo. It gets overbearing in the headphones and it's kinda hard to play with it. But these clicks are on one and three. So play half notes on one and three, especially at tempos above 200. And this is super important. I hear a lot of people playing with metronomes on two and four, and that can be a cool thing to do, but don't only practice that way. Make sure that's something you add into your arsenal and not something you always do. Because if you go to a recording studio, that's never gonna happen. They're never gonna have clicks on two and four, ever. And it's kinda awkward when it's on one and three if you're not used to it. It's like the band director that starts snapping and they're like, all right guys, ready? All right, ready? and one two on two three four and it just completely throws you for a loop because you were feeling that as two and four and it just doesn't swing at all but it is what it is you got to play along with that metronome on one and three so practice with that but then also balance that with quarter notes balance that with all of these techniques so far all right number five is subdivisions and this one you got to be super super careful with you know, I basically never do this with jazz because if you put triplet clicks on at most jazz tempos, and I'm talking 
98% of jazz tempos, it's going to ruin your feel. If you're trying to lock in exactly with triplet clicks on a metronome, it's just not going to swing because you're just being technical, metronomic. You're not actually human about it. For example, I was in a lesson with Jeff Hamilton one time, and I was telling him that I couldn't really get a good groove on a slow blues. And it was like, one, two, three, four, one, two, da, do, yeah, yeah, you know, that kind of slow blues. And I just really couldn't get a groove going. And he was like, okay, why don't you play it for me? Let me, let me see what's up. And my leg was going, you know, da, go, go, And he said, well, that's your problem. And I was like, oh, I thought I was subdividing. I thought that would be helpful. And he's like, no, the feel is not in just those triplets. And doing that in your leg is just making it so stiff. And I realized two things. That one, it shouldn't be in your leg. The subdivision shouldn't be in your leg. And then two, that's just not what the feel is. The feel is not perfect triplets on swing, no matter what the tempo is. Sometimes it can be useful, though. For example, Peter Erskine talks about how he played... Lil Darlin with Kurt Elling in the studio and he said he had triplets going in his head the whole time because it was such a slow tempo and they have to do all these hits that are the end of one and then beat three as you know if you know that song Count Basie Lil Darlin and it's just really hard to land that beat three because there's so much space in there and so he was subdividing triplets in his head and that worked for him in that studio in that moment but I really doubt that he was making sure that every single skip note lined up perfectly with his triplets. So why do I even talk about this technique? Because in a lot of other music, it's really useful. So any pop music today, for the most part, is going to be gridded and might even be looking for that perfect 16th note, that perfect 8th note. They might even quantize it, move it to the grid, everything. But in even in jazz, let's say you're playing a bossa nova, it's good to practice that with maybe an 8th note click if you're playing 16th notes, so like that. So definitely don't play with but play with that can be helpful. And let's say you're playing a funk tune. It can be helpful there. And if it's this funk tune that's a really strict 16th note, maybe you could do 16th note clicks there as well. But don't fall into a trap that I fell into, which was to practice a samba with 16th note clicks. I did that in high school, and I practiced for a while, practicing a samba, getting my right hand 16th notes absolutely perfect with that 16th note click. Then come to realize, once I got out of the books that I was learning out of, and actually listened to some Brazilian music, I realized there's a lilt in there. It's not perfect 16th notes. The feel of Brazilian music is so good because it's fluid. And that's what you need to have. You don't want to have this perfect 16th note going on. Because then you sound like you've never really heard the music. You're just doing it out of a book. Maybe another instance that you would use the triplet clicks would be on like a 12-8, where it needs to be cat boom boom cat And it needs to be perfect triplets. You could practice it there. But the goal is to get away from all those subdivisions. Maybe it's kind of going in your head, but you don't have to focus on that completely because your feel is elsewhere. So please be very careful with this. You don't want to fall into any of those traps. So lastly is metronome technique number six, which isn't really a metronome technique at all. It's just to play along to records. 
And I really wanted to include that in here because it's really important to balance everything. And if you want to have a great feel, you're going to have to play along to records. And if you're especially trying to work on time, you can definitely find records that have good time. Maybe not perfect time, and that's fine, you know, because you're balancing everything. You practice with a metronome, get your time good, and then you practice along to a record with Philly Joe, and maybe it speeds up the tiniest bit or it slows down like milestones, but it feels great. And that's the important thing is feel always. Feel should come first. So here are some examples of records. If you looked at the blog post, I'm just going to read it straight off of there. But here are some records that I love to practice to that are really good. And the arrangements aren't too hard. There's not much to it. So it's really great to just put it on and play along to. You don't have to really know it super well. All right, so we got Cannonball and Coltrane, super great record with Jimmy Cobb on drums. We got Cannonball Adderley, Live at the Lighthouse, great record as well. Lewis Hayes on drums. Clifford Brown and Max Roach, basically any of their records they made together, but there is one called That Exactly. Dizzy Gillespie, Sunny Side Up, really great record. Donald Byrd, The Catwalk, that's a cool one with Philly Joe on it. Uh, Frank Sinatra, A Swing and Affair. These records, especially that one and um, Songs for Swingin' Lovers, both have Irv Kotler and Alvin Stoller on them, depending on the track. And those just have great feel. It goes usually brushes on two to sticks and four for like the second time through the head or whatnot. And it's great. Just great feel all around and super short arrangements. So that, that can be fun to just play an album down like that. All right, next is Freddie Hubbard, Hubtones, and you can also listen to basically any Freddie Hubbard record and find stuff to play along to. Hank Mobley is basically the same where you can find any record by him, but I'll recommend in specific Soul Station with Art Blakey on it. Great record. And next is Joe Henderson, In and Out, and those arrangements aren't too crazy. I guess they might be if you look at it. I might be the crazy one thinking that they're not crazy, but Elvin Jones on drums on that one, and it's great. Uh, great to play along to, and the drums are a little more involved on that one, so it's a good balance. Next, we got John Coltrane, Coltrane's Sound, which is also Elvin Jones. It's one of the simpler ones with that quartet on it. And then Kenny Dorham, Quiet Kenny. I highly recommend that one. McCoy Tyner, The Real McCoy. Mel Lewis, The Mel Lewis Sextet. It's this kind of cartoonish, drawn photo of him with glasses on and it's super simple but his ride cymbal beat is really great and really clear and really easy to play along to. Alright now I'm gonna list a bunch of Miles Davis records. Kind of Blue, I'm assuming you know that one. Jimmy Cobb on drums, really really great ride cymbal on that one and super simple comping it's great and it really teaches you patience because it's awesome on that record. Next is as I mentioned earlier Milestones and then there's these four records uh, working, cooking, steaming, and relaxing with the Miles Davis Quintet. If you know the story behind those, it was that they had to finish out their contract before they could move to another label, and they had four records left, and so they just knocked them all out and made these four records, and they're really just playing tunes, and it sounds great. Then we got Oscar Peterson, Night Train. Love me some Oscar Peterson with Ed Thigpen on drums. Sonny Rollins, Nukes Time. He's another one with tons of albums to play along to. And then Wayne Shorter, Speak No Evil. Now this is just some of my favorites, and I know there's tons more that are great to play along to. And yeah, let me know what your favorites are. You can comment on the blog, you can comment on Instagram, 
send me an email at learnjazzdrums at gmail.com. Let me know. I'd love to hear them, and I'll post them. Now, this is just a few of the ones that I like to play along to, and I know there's tons more. And let me know what your favorites are. You can comment on the blog at learnjazzdrums.co slash blog, or you can comment on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. We're everywhere. And feel free, also, send me a personal email at learnjazzdrums at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll respond. Okay, next we got some metronome games. I don't really do these too much, but a lot of people like to do these. And here's some games that I've heard of. First is the thing I was talking about earlier, playing with the click on 2 and 4. It can be a fun exercise, and it's kind of like someone snapping their fingers on 2 and 4. It can be a good one. Um, that's the first metronome game. Next, we've got one click per bar, but on beat 4. And so that can be a fun one because it lands on 4. It's not as rock-solid sounding as beat 1 and it sometimes could throw you depending on where you are in the phrase, and it's just good practice. That's a fun one. Then we got clicks only on offbeats. That one's kind of crazy, and it really focuses on crazy good time because if every offbeat is absolutely perfect, that's really precise. Um, that's why it's a metronome game. Then we got one click per bar only on the and of two or the and of four. People like to do that one. Um, also very precise, but... You know, it can be cool depending if you're playing swung eighth notes or straight eighth notes. Then we got the metronome in 3-4, but when you're playing in 4-4, four, four, so it's always going to be changing. You know, it's going to land on 1, 4, 3, 2, 1, 4, 3, 2, 1, and it just repeats that pattern. Then similarly, you could have the metronome in 4 when you're playing in 7-8, another fun metronome game. And then you can also just have the metronome drop out on beat one, so you never have that rock-solid beat one, but they're there for the rest of the beats. And then you can also randomize the beat or the measures. Depending on what app you have, maybe it'll just click once a bar, and then it'll change, click for a few, and then it'll stop for two bars. Maybe your app can do that. That could be a fun game. Again, I don't really do any of these because I haven't really found them helpful, but if you do, that's great. And let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Comment, same thing. So my personal recommendation for a metronome app is just the one that I've used for a while, and it's pretty simple, but also very user-friendly and can do a lot, and that's an app called Tempo. And I'll have a link for that in the show notes over at learnjazzdrums.co slash episode one. This app is great because it's simple, easy to use, but it's very powerful. You can have accents on the beats, you can change the sounds, you can have a blip sound that's more like a studio kind of click sound you can have a digital super annoying click sound you can have it flash on every beat flash on the first beat you can make set lists for gigs you can do all sorts of stuff i highly recommend it it's called tempo in the app store and there's also a light version i'll link those up in the show notes again at learnjazzdrums.co slash episode one so above all, just make sure you use all of these techniques, as I've said. So above all, just make sure you use all of these techniques in combination and have a good balance of them. If you were to only practice with quarter notes every beat, your macro time might not develop super well. And if you were to only practice with one beat per bar, your micro time might not develop super well. So it's just really important to balance all this. And then also keep in mind, a metronome can't swing. So play along to records balance everything so yeah that's our podcast for today i really appreciate you listening and i would love to hear from you feel free to comment on the blog at learnjazzdrums.co slash blog uh, the show notes are going to be on learnjazzdrums.co slash episode one 
And you can follow us on Instagram, follow us and subscribe on YouTube, all those great things. Also, we have a weekly mailing list that'll keep you up to date on all the new podcasts, all the new blogs, and all the new video lessons that are coming out every single week. So if you just head over to learnjazzdrums.co, you can join the mailing list right there. Thanks again for listening. I hope you really enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next time.